Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that asks the question, who let the dogs out? Bulldogs, that is. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on Wednesday night. Yes, 100% pre-recorded because by the time you're hearing this, I will be in Kansas City, most likely heading over to the Greater Kansas City Pipe Club's pipe meeting. More on that in just a minute. My guest for tonight's show, I sat down with Dr. Fred Hanna. We covered a couple of topics. It's more of a discussion, some interesting new information. It's all pre-recorded, but the good news is I let him go for about oh, 45 minutes, so no pipe parts tonight. going to have a lot of me and Fred Hanna, and then music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up at the end of the show. And don't forget, starting Tuesday, July 1st, the Pipes Magazine radio show is moving to Tuesday nights. Yes, Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Part of that's because of the problems I'm having with my schedule. Why? A lot of events fall on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so in order to not have to pre-record a lot of them, we're moving the show to Tuesday nights. Uh, This week's pre-recorded. Next week will be pre-recorded because I'm doing this foreign thing called vacation, and it comes at an interesting time of the year for me. Yeah, it's our busiest time of the year as we get ready for the International Premium Cigar and Pipe Retailers Convention in Las Vegas, uh, July 17th, 18th. All the way into the 23rd, 24th, so I'll be in Vegas for a week for that. But I'm taking the week of the 4th of July off. So again, that Thursday will be pre-recorded. Tuesday, July 1st will be pre-recorded. And you see why now we're moving it to Tuesdays, because lots, uh, lots of weekend events coming up for me, especially as we head into the fall season. Uh, touching on the Kansas City Pipe Show for just a minute. If you go to the Greater Kansas City Pipe Club's website, I believe it's gkcpipeclub.com. We'll put a link to it in the uh, on the show page there for you. The pipe car the pipe carvers contest, the American pipe carving contest. They've run into a snafu with the casino that they're going to be holding the uh, that they're holding the pipe show at. So. Tickets for the pipe carving contest will only be available for purchase online through their website or off the site. That gives you one heck of a chance to win seven handmade artisan straight billiard style pipes. One heck of a chance. It's $25 per ticket. The club needs your help because they've guaranteed a certain amount of money to each one of the winning pipe makers. And those tickets just barely cover the cost. It is limited to 300 tickets, so if you jump in there, you got at least a 1 in 300 chance, and they will ship the pipes to you. So check out their website. Help them out. You've got until uh, Friday night, I believe, so tomorrow night to uh, get your tickets in. All right, everybody, in just a few minutes, we'll start the uh, start the playback of the discussion with Fred Hanna, so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. 
This is Internet Radio. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, so here's my discussion with Fred Hanna. The first part of it covers the brand versus Briar. The second part of it talks Fred. I ask Fred, and he talks about his fascination and his enjoyment of snuff. And then at the end is really kind of what I would do as a pipe part segment, but it's a little carrot at the end for you. So hope you enjoy this discussion with Dr. Fred Hanna. All right, so I brought you back on the show to talk about a couple of things that are really specific to you. The first thing I want to go after is your, um, uh, your I don't want to call it an epic discussion, but it had some, uh, had some levels of grandioseness <laughs> of yeah. Brand versus Briar. And your stand on the Brand versus Briar is... Well, can I give a little background? Okay, give a little background. Okay, um, back in 2001, um, the Pipe Collector Newsletter um, was running, uh, you know, a lot of different articles like they do now. And uh, I talked to Bill Unger, who was the editor, and by the way, a very fine editor. He had a Ph.D. in literature, and a lot of people don't know that. But anyway... Um, from Ohio State. In fact, Bill Lunger actually played for Woody Hayes at Ohio State. Very few people know that. But anyway. I need to correct you. It's the Ohio State University. Uh, yeah, well, to some of us. But anyway, okay. um, so <clears throat> I uh, wrote the article um, called The Myth of Brand and Maker. And in that article, I said several times that the most important factors involved in um, enjoyment of a pipe, now this is not about collecting, this is about pipe smoking, is that the wood is what's most important. There are other important factors, but it's the wood. That the brand, the, the pipe has to be well cured, the, the wood has to be well cured, the pipe has to be well made, that's a given for anything, but what is first and foremost is the wood itself. 
and that it's not that the brand is not as important as the briar itself. So the um, the the discussion raged literally. Bill Unger told me that that was the worst article he ever published, not because he didn't like it. He he really liked the article, but the fact that the the controversy went on for four years <laughs> and got quite heated and quite passionate. I never dreamed that it would um, stir up things like that. Um, and it was highly misunderstood by a lot of people because some people were thinking, well, Fred's just saying that Dr. Grabo's are just as good as Costello's, Dunhill's, or Conowitz's. And I wasn't saying that at all. I was just saying that it's the wood that's first and foremost. And generally, the best wood is used by the best pipe makers. But even that, there's no guarantee that just because a pipe is, is stamped Costello or Dunhill or, um, you know, Bonord or whatever it might be, there's no guarantee that it's going to be a fantastic pipe because these guys get their briar from the same sources. And the briar, of course, it has to be well cured and it has to be well made, but each piece of briar has its own taste. And sometimes you can have the most beautiful wood, but it doesn't taste very good. And that was that was the the key to the whole argument. Here's where I see it from the from the rest of us, the majority of us pipe smokers that are never going to have a chance to smoke a Conowitz or a Bow Nord or maybe some of the most expensive blocks of wood. Is it also possible that we as pipe smokers, and let's just say for example, um, I start smoking and and learn how to smoke. Peterson pipes, or I'll uh, use a brand a little closer to me, a Brigham pipe, and I really like the way that manufacturer handles their wood curing, handles their manufacturing, like the quality of it, and I, I, I agree that there will be better pieces, that you'll get a better smoking experience out of certain pipes within a brand, but at the same time, when you get to, when you find a brand that you like the way they do stuff, that brand is most likely going to work for you, and that brand ID tells you that I got a pretty good shot that I'm going to like that this is going to be a great pipe. Yeah, nobody can argue with that. You know, the, uh, the thing well, about good. it Well, good. End is, of that segment. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, we're done with that. Next yeah. question. Um, no, see, the, the thing is, is that there are certain styles of... Um, um, you know, manufacture or, or uh, construction that different brands or different factories or different pipe makers use. Nobody argues with that. Are some things better than others? Yeah, probably. But here's the point. You can make a pipe, as Tony Soderman once said in one of those, um, you know, many articles that were written years back. Tony Soderman said that if you took a piece of petrified bullshit and made a pipe out of it, perfectly carved, perfectly drilled, with all the nice fine tunings in the uh, button of the stem and the whole shot, it's still made from shit. The point is, is that, for example, I once had a beautiful Costello Collection Great Line 4K, fantastic, beautiful pipe, beautiful grain, because... You know, for many of your listeners, they don't know that I collect exclusively um, near-perfect straight grains, 
which, by the way, do not mean they're going to smoke better. I just like the looks of the grain. It's an aesthetic thing for me. But anyway, I had a beautiful pipe like that, tremendous grain, and it smoked and tasted like a sewer. It smoked great. See, this is what a lot of people, they don't make this dis- this discernment here or this differentiation. It smoked great. It was everything. I mean, it smoked down to the bottom. You know, it was uh, really, you know, beautiful in terms of uh, the drilling and all of that sort of thing, but it tasted like a sewer. There was something about that wood. See, what people don't understand very often is they, they don't look a little deeper to see that the taste of the wood is actually imparted into the smoke. And that taste of the wood itself, once the pipe starts to heat up, actually imbues the smoke with the briar itself. That's why briar smoke's different than meerschaum. Because, yeah, meerschaum's absorbent, et cetera, et cetera. But briar has a unique flavor, and that flavor will vary from piece to piece. So this is why you can get 10 Dunhills, 10 Sheratons, 10 Costellos. Um, I like Costello pipes. You know, Costellos are fantastic pipes. That particular Costello, you could not tell by looking at it. It looked like an utterly tremendous pipe. It tasted like a sewer. So I reamed it down to bare wood. I tried smoking only Virginia in it because sometimes pipes don't like Latakia. So I tried smoking only Virginia in it, and it continued to taste like a sewer. So with great regret, I finally uh, parted with it. And um, it was just one of those things. So you can take, you know, 10 pipes and they're from the same maker. So, you know, here's another thing that a lot of people don't know. For example, um, many pipe makers get their wood from Mimo Romeo in Italy. And he's probably the best known of all the briar cutters and the guy is a great pipe maker himself. Well, so they all have the same briar source, or a lot of them, I shouldn't say all, of course not all, but many of them have the same briar source in Mimo. And Mimo sells them the wood and, and cures all the wood the same way. How do I know that? Because Mimo told me. And so what is all this about? Well, you know, Bonord, for the last three years before he died, Guess whose wood he used? Mimo's. And so you can get a pipe made from Mimo's wood, same curing, same, uh, you know, sources, and it can cost four or $500 or four or 5000 or more, depending on who made it. But it's still the same wood. And so this is where I think a lot of brand gets um, exaggerated. Now, for artistry, sure, you know, you you buy a Picasso, it's going to cost more than some, you know, rum-dum dude in, uh, in Italy or France from the same period. But it's the artistry that makes the difference. Well, the point here is that we're talking about smoking. We're not talking about artistry. We're talking about actual taste of the wood. Now, you can have a pipe that has fantastic smoking qualities, but that doesn't mean it's going to taste good. You want something that tastes good. Can you also have a pipe that do, that tastes good and doesn't smoke well? Yes, and I have that. Sometimes I've had pipes that are not well carved, 
in terms of well-drilled, you see. So a lot of times they might smoke a little wet or something like that. So I myself have gone in and made minor adjustments to them. Sometimes all I do is just open the tenon. Sometimes I'll redrill the entire um, stem, or or more often I'll send it to somebody to redrill the entire stem if the stem is bent. If the stem is straight, it's a pretty easy thing to just redrill it. Or I might open up the shank a little bit, just a little bit, you know, because I, I prefer personally a... Uh, um, you know, five thirty seconds drilling in the uh, in the shank. So, the but the point is, is that sometimes you can have a great tasting pipe, but you have to run a pipe cleaner through it if it's not well drilled. But see, that's my point. If the pipe is well drilled and well made, and if the pipe, if the briar itself is well cured, then the rest of it is the taste of the wood. And the taste can be fantastic in some cases, utterly heavenly. And in other cases, it can be like that old Costello, um, that beautiful Costello, that tasted like, I swear to God, Brian, it tasted like a sewer. It was horrible. And everybody I gave it to, I gave it to friends. And I said, is it just me? And they said, oh, my God, what's the deal with that pipe? So, um, you know, and then a lot of, most of them are somewhere in between, you know. Have you ever so, had a have you ever had a pipe that didn't work for you, just tasted terrible for you, and then you traded it or sold it to somebody and they've come back to you and said that they love that pipe? Yes, we all have. And so therefore it could also be not so much that the wood is bad, it's that the wood wasn't right for you. That's always possible. But see in my case what I would do is I would share the pipe with others to see what their their take on it was. I wouldn't just uh if it was really bad, I would say, here, try this. You know, I've sat with friends where we sit around and um, we might all have the same make of a a, uh, a pipe. And we put, you know, the same tobacco in all of our pipes. And then we just pass those tobacco pipes around so that um, we can see. And, you know, it's amazing how each one tastes different um, it's even though they're the same the same maker. See, yeah, so yeah. when they when you start to say that you know each maker has its own taste and all that kind of stuff, I have a lot of trouble with that. I think it's uh, people who um, don't look beyond nomenclature, or as they say, you know, more philosophically, the the symbol is not the thing. The stamping on that piece of wood is not the wood itself. And sometimes we get confused by the difference between the symbol, which is the stamping, and the thing itself, which is the wood that nature made, not the pipe maker didn't make that wood. Now, some people will say, well, how about the curing, whether it's air cured, oil cured, or et cetera, et cetera. So I went to um, David Field, and I went to uh, Bill Ashton Taylor, who, of course, started Ashton Pipes, and I asked Bill Ashton Taylor, because David Field told me to, I went to Bill and I said, Bill, you know, you do a lot of oil curing in your pipes. How much do you think that that oil curing that you actually use in your pipes affects the, the smoke? He said, well, I think it's a lot in the beginning. And I said, so at what point does the actual oil curing start to wear off where you just start um, where, the, where it's no longer a factor in the t- 
taste of the smoke anymore. He said around 30 smokes that it wears off. See, so for me, even the curing will have an effect in the beginning of that pipe's life and, and performance. But after 50 smokes, you know, 100 smokes, it's no longer the curing that has any difference. The wood starts to affect the, the smoke again. We've got to take a break right here. When we come back, more Brand versus Briar, and then we'll uh, get into Fred's new hobby and a whole lot more. So stick with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Sykes Wolford from SmokingPipes.com, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on sutliffmoltodolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is molto dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sightlift Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malto Dolce blend in public. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, still visiting with Fred. Fred, you mentioned Tony Soderman, who is a uh, who is a dear friend of mine. I love visiting with Tony. And uh, Tony is a lawyer, so therefore he is an expert on bullshit. Uh, but <laughs> Be careful, buddy. <laughs> can, can we argue one thing about the brand and you being a psychologist is that I've often said that at the end of the day, the most important measurement of a pipe and whether or not the owner is going to like it is the distance between his ears. It's what's in that. And brand insinuates some connotations psychologically. First of all, I need to just say that um, just for the sake of clarity, my, my uh, degree is in counseling and psychotherapy, uh, you know, just to, to be more specific. But anyway, I agree with you. A person's mind has a huge amount of influence on the taste of the smoke, and there's no doubt about that. And that's what I was saying is not being able or not thinking to, to differentiate the stamping on the pipe, whether it's Dunhill or, or Sheraton or Sassini or, you know, a, a Danish maker or something like that, there's, there's nothing really in, in all of that to, um, to say that it's a pure experience. We confuse our expectations 
and our, um, you know, um, preconceptions and presuppositions and all of those kinds of things on how the pipe is going to taste. And so I, I believe that that is a huge factor. There's no doubt about it. But on the other hand, there are some people who are very, very open to all of this who are fully capable of differentiating the smoke that comes from the wood and the symbol of the stamping that's on the briar. So is it ever free or pure experience? Probably not. I don't think so. Our minds are always playing into that. Um, hell, you can take the same, the same pipe, and it'll smoke different one day than it does two days later. Who can explain this stuff? But the point that I'm trying to make here is that it's not about the brand. It's about the wood. And it's also about our minds. I totally agree with you, Brian, but we can at least make a differentiation. You know, like, for example, if I buy, I have a friend recently who, you know, at least a while ago told me he bought a brand new BMW and he had all these expectations for his BMW and that um, he, to make a long story short, um, became disappointed and that sort of thing. I mean, that's not speaking for all BMWs. This is just that one guy. But the point is, is that at some point, one looks beyond the name and um, looks to the actual phenomenon, the actual object in front of oneself. And that's stepping outside of one's mind into the realm of pure experience, or it's never really pure, but it's close. So, yeah, what you're saying just mucks up the water even more <laughs> than it was before. See, I, th I think that even speaks more to the, to the, uh, the Briar and Brand controversy. But go ahead. What else did you want to ask? Is there a way, is there any way that you have found that we can tell which pipe is going to be one of those magic pipes? Any, any indication? Is it light, you know? A, a very uh, a very lightweight piece of wood versus a heavier piece of wood is it density of grain bird's eye see you're really hitting on it here you know and just to and I think I mentioned the magic pipe in our last interview didn't I or I can't remember no. did, did I did we talk about that in the last um, radio show you did with me nope okay uh, I've written about this in my book and I've written about it in uh, various places. The magic pipe, for those of you who are not familiar with the, with the, the uh, phrase, a magic pipe is a pipe that smokes absolutely fantastic no matter what tobacco you put into it and how it is not just great, it's transcendent. It's like sublime. It's, you know, just superb. It's like in a class by itself. And in my experience, I run into those about once out of every 200 or so pipes and um, you know I hear people talk about them etc cetera, etc cetera, but you have to have smoked a lot of pipes before you really can tell which one is magic because sometimes a person will think you know uh, different things based on not much experience so in terms of a magic pipe itself <clears throat> there can be it can be from any brand um, I've had people tell me that um, they've had quite humble pipes smoke fantastic you know um utterly amazing and but the other pipes from that same brand just never quite measured up um and then you know i've had uh 
um, some Italian pipes that are just utterly tremendous, others not. Same with Danish pipes, other utterly tremendous, others just mediocre or whatever. In the really high grades pipe, in the really high grade pipes, you don't get many real bad ones, you know, because I believe that the higher the grade pipe, you're likely to get a better smoke than you would with the less expensive ones. And I need to talk about curing here real quickly, Brian. A lot of times, if a pipe is not cured real well, the pipe will be green in its taste. It'll be harsh, and um, it will be uh, um, just pretty, it could be sour, you know, and you have to smoke it and smoke it and smoke it before it, quote-unquote, breaks in. Well, that's because there's still a lot of sap in it and all of that. One of the things that I've come to believe over the years is that when we smoke a pipe, we actually roast that wood. We roast the sap that's in it. And if you think about Vermont maple syrup, that stuff comes out of the trees very, very bitter. But the more it's heated, the more mellow and nutty and even sweet that sap will be. Well, I believe if there's residual saps inside of a a piece of wood, now not a lot of it because that's what they're trying to cure out of it, but even just residuals, that stuff can actually begin to influence the, the smoke itself, and eventually the sap can go from being bitter to being very mellow and sweet, and I think that's part of the smoking process that is goes on with the wood regardless of the maker. So does a pipe then, in your opinion, have a lifetime? Is there a point where you've smoked it too much and it no longer can produce that sweetness? Not in my experience. And plus, I've had lots of old pipes, you know, pipes that are sometimes 100 years old or more often than that, um, 50 or 60 years old. And I have not personally encountered... The, I think the phenomenon that some people refer to, I've heard some collectors call it too, is a pipe being smoked out. Yeah. In other words, it's completely um, uh, saturated or penetrated or infiltrated with tobacco through and through the wood. And I have a friend who was in a big argument with some guy. He was so mad because the one guy was saying that they were, uh, that pipes get smoked out and after a while they're no good anymore. And this guy actually had a GBD unique that he was so mad. He And this is a nice pipe, right? Yeah. The guy actually it was smoked to high heaven for years and years and years. He actually took a saw and cut it in two. And sure enough, the middle of that pipe was still a lighter beige sort of a color. And, you know, they, they smoked out phenomenon is basically that it's all, you know, um, uh, saturated with tobacco and tobacco juice and all that kind of stuff and can no longer be a, give a good smoke because it's not absorbent anymore. I personally don't believe that. Some people do. Um, I, don't, I don't know what to say about that except that it doesn't seem to be true in my experience. It might be true for some pipes. I don't know. I have seen a couple of situations in some uh, in in some pipes that I was willing to experiment with, which uh -huh. which is uh, my terminology for I bought them in a lot on eBay and I 
didn't even want to take the time to try to clean them up. That's how bad they were. <laughs> I hear that. So what, yeah. so what did I do to learn a little bit? And these were pipes from the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, drugstore brands. And I decided to smash a few open and see how deep into the wood the oh, tars yeah, cool. had soaked in. And some of these, you know, obviously smoked with aromatics. Some of the some of the older pipes, you would see tar soaked halfway to three quarters of the way through the wood in you know coming out towards the the outside of the bowl. Uh-huh. Uh, but I I don't think it's any of the you know these aren't any of the pipes that were that we're really talking about here where the blocks of briar are harvested, yeah. cured, aged, dried. And some go through a, a secondary curing process. These are pipes that are, you know, harvested, harvested, dried on the way to the pipe factory, and then turned into pipes, and then a lacquer applied to the finish, which I think the lacquer might help lock in and make the bowl not breathe more. I but agree with that. Let's go forward into some fun stuff that you've been playing around with. And okay. you'll be the first one to ever really talk about this on the Pipes Magazine radio show, but it's simply another way to enjoy the wonderful vitamin N that we talked about before, and it's the dry nasal snuff. Yeah, dry nasal snuff. Yeah, okay. Well, let me give you a few opening comments on this to set the context, so to speak. First of all, this is not stuff you put in your mouth. This is not chew. It's not the kind of um, snuff that uh, one puts in one's mouth. In fact, the pure snuff users get a little bit offended when we start to talk about the stuff that goes into one's mouth as snuff. Um, you could call it dip or chew or snooze, but it's um, but real snuff is one of the oldest forms of tobacco use, right there with pipes used by the Native Americans, where they would just grind up the dried leaves of tobacco plants and literally, um, you know, take it into their noses. Now, the other thing I need to take um, a time to set the context for is that this is not snorting like one would use some illegal substance or something. Really, one takes the tobacco into the bottom third of one's nose where one's olfactory sensations take place. And um, in other words, According to studies, according to research, the human nose, amazingly enough, is capable of discerning billions of different scents. It's amazing. And, you know, I think from what I can gather, the nose is actually more sensitive than the tongue. And so much of, uh, you know, tasting food, tasting wine is a olfactory experience as well as a gustatory or, you know, tongue experience. So having said all of that, um, we, um, there's different kinds of, of snuffs, and of course in England, they've been uh, at this for a long, long time, and I still believe that the best snuffs are made in England. Um, the point is, is that these are, this is a very enjoyable hobby. It is, um, has a very small but stable um, um, crowd that is that call themselves snuff takers, and um, there is not nearly as much um, um, participation or number of collectors as there are in the pipe world. And we know that those of us in the pipe world are a precious few. 
There's even less snuff takers. However, the flavorings that are used in snuffs are amazing because you can actually taste them. You know, like one of the things about smoking aromatic tobaccos, uh, whether you like them or not, is beside the point. A lot of times they don't taste like they smell in the pouch or in the tin. Well, the flavorings that they will use in snuffs are um, often um, what we call floral, which could be a, you know, a flower base, um, you know, like lavender or um, violets or, you know, that sort of thing, um, all the way to, you know, just plain tobacco with really rich um, scents and also fruits. So you'll see, you know, um, snuffs that are made that where the tobacco is mixed with blueberry essence, cherry. Um, there's even some with fig. Um, and, you know, there'll be, of course, chocolate and vanilla and peach and uh, pomegranate, passion fruit. Unbelievable stuff. It's just in a whole world that opened up to me about a year ago. And uh, I, I originally started using snuff way back around 1980 or so when I worked at a tobacco shop and we used to sell a particular snuff that was more than a dollar a gram um, <laughs> called Count Mirari. And I tried a lot of other snuffs, but there was something about Count Mirari that was just magic. I still have some of it left, believe it or not. And so I always had an interest in it. And then uh, it just sort of blossomed when a friend gave me a little bit um, about uh, a year ago, and uh, something, some passion sort of hit me, and I've now tried well over 200 of them. And some of them, I don't know any other word, Brian, except to say that they are just exquisite. So describe for us the, the, the process. I mean, how do you, how do, you do it? The, the couple of times I've done it, I guess I suck in too hard but it's probably because i've got a big nose anyway um, <laughs> um well there's there's different ways one is by um just taking a small little pinch they like to say an apple seed size and if you're beginning probably a lot you should take a lot less but just a small amount of pinch and just barely sniff just barely sniff you don't snort because if you do you won't taste it it's like smoking a pipe that's really hot. You won't taste the tobacco. But um, you take a little bit of a sniff and take it into the bottom third of your nose. Like right before, if you feel your nose and you feel the bones, it's just before the bones start. That's where you taste the snuff. Of course, tasting is uh, now used in a more vague sense. And there are other ways with a spoon. Um, one can take a little bit of a spoon. Another way is to use a snuff box where you can fill up the snuff box and then take a pinch out of the box or out of the tin um, because, you know, snuffs will almost always come in a tin or what's called a tap box. A tap box is, has a little opening where you can tap an amount onto the back of your hand. Some people like to do it that way. Some people put it on their thumb. Like they take a little, you know, bit of a, a uh, and tap onto their, with their right hand onto their left thumb, and um, and then take, you know, just a little sniff from there for each nostril. Um, those are generally the most common ways. There's also a, a technique called a bullet, 
which is a uh, little contraption that costs about, I don't know, five bucks maybe. There's different kinds. And those are made to open um, and release just a certain amount onto, once again, onto the back of one's hand, one's thumb, which, by the way, the thumb technique is also referred to as a boxcar. It's a long story behind that term, but um, you can use it that way. But let me just say again, the, um, the beauty of it is that you can do it anytime. It's not smoking. And I know a lot of pipe smokers like to smoke cigars. And this is just another way of enjoying um, our favorite weed, tobacco. And um, it's something that very few of us have ever explored. Now, there's a lot of people I know in the pipe world who have explored snuff. So it's not like I'm the first by any means. Don't Please don't get that idea out there. But um, it's just a fascinating thing, and it's um, it's really cool. Can you instead of sn- instead of snuffing it up or sniffing it up, can you just literally take a little bit on your finger and kind of rub it up into your nose? Um, you know, funny you should mention that. Some people do that, but with the see snuffs have different grinds. They'll call it. Some of it's really fine. Some of it is really ultra fine, where it's really more of a powder. Um, than anything else. Then there's medium grind, and then there's what's called coarse, C-O-A-R-S-E. Sometimes those are really high. Like typically the coarse ones will come from South Africa. And really good tobacco, really high-quality stuff, but they just, for some reason, they like the their grind to be coarse. So for some guys, it's hard to, to snuff those, and so they will do exactly what you said, Brian. They'll take a little bit and just literally place it into the nose. Well, and that way you make sure that it goes where you want it. Yeah, yeah, that's always a good idea. Yeah, you don't want that stuff way up in your nose. It makes you um, cough. It makes you, you know, some people will sneeze. I don't seem to sneeze from doing this. A lot of people have misconceptions about sneezing. That doesn't make me sneeze for some reason. But um, the point is, is, yeah, you want it to stay in the lower third of the nose so you can experience this stuff. It's like you wouldn't place a steak, um, a, a, you know, with a fork, a big giant piece of juicy steak. You wouldn't put it in your palm and expect to taste it because there's no taste buds there. So it's the same thing with the nose. You don't put it way up in your sinuses. You put it where you can actually taste it. Are there smoke shops here in the United States that carry it? Carry stuff? Yeah, there's... there's uh, um, a few shops here and there, they, and let me mention some of the brands. One is Toke, which comes from England, and they have a brand called Silver Dollar or Toke USA, either of those. They actually sell a Toke variety that you can get from England. Um, there's also um, several snuffs um, that you can get from uh, um, that are made here in the U.S., um, and uh, there's also Williams of Charo that, or Wilson's, I'm sorry, of Charo that comes from uh, from England. But see, here's the curious thing: to the ones that come from Europe to America, there's a really strange law. You know, tobacco laws are getting really weird. It's like you can't ship cigarettes from state to state. Um, well, the same, which is you know why we don't buy cigarettes on the internet. Um, but it's not illegal 
to send snuffs directly from overseas to a person's home. So there's a website called MrSnuff.com, literally spelled M-I-S-T-E-R, Snuff.com, where you can buy just about any kind of snuff you want. Now, there's not a whole lot of websites. This is a small crowd here. Even though it's old in tradition, um, it's still a small group that actually enjoy this. And you can, by the way, if if anybody's interested in this, SnuffHouse.org is a tremendous... uh, source of knowledge, information. It's also a, a uh, discussion board. Um, I think worth checking out if somebody's interested in this. It's just Snuff House. This is just how it sounds, .org. Anyway, um, the, uh, there, America has a long tradition of making um, snuffs, and uh, I've tried them. I think they're good. I seem to like, personally, I, I seem to like the ones from England, Better. There are some that are made in India, um, specifically from a um, company called Dolakia, which is absolutely remarkable. And it's just like pipe tobacco, you know? They'll make some blends that you like and some blends you're crazy about and some blends that you don't like. Um, it's the same sort of thing. And real quickly, because we've got to take a break again, and then I want to bring you back for a third part. Um, okay. This is the only form of tobacco that we actually take into our bodies, and it stays there, correct? Yeah, well, I guess that's uh, that's sort of debatable. I mean, if a person um, is chewing, um, I guess you could make the argument that a lot of that gets into your stomach, whether you like it or not. It's kind of like, you know, if you're smoking a pipe, some of that smoke's going to get into your lungs, you know, one way or another. So... I, I don't know, but in terms of the actual object, the tobacco material substance itself, yeah, that goes uh, directly into the nose. Now, sometimes, not to get gross, but sometimes, you know, a person will blow their nose and uh, some of it comes out. But apparently, Brian, I think uh, a good amount of it just seems to be absorbed and dissolved in the nose. And see, for me, I don't blow my nose. I don't. I don't know. It just seems uh, quite natural to me. I don't. I don't use huge amounts, just like anything else. I use this stuff in moderation, um, but it's just tremendously enjoyable. I don't know how else to put it. And there are some very, very remarkable snuffs that uh, are made by uh, blenders, just like Breck Keys or Mike and Mary McNeil. Um, in the pipe world, and there are some uh, highly creative, highly talented um, snuff makers who are um, responsible for some truly amazing blends. And I want to mention these blends before we end. One of them, um, my personal favorite brand, is called Abraxas. And uh, if anybody's interested in trying these, I would uh, recommend. Um, a particular snuff made by Abraxas. Nigel is the person who makes these. Very, very intelligent and creative guy. Um, he calls this one blend that I would recommend Premium, premium Batch uh, Fine, F-I-N, it's, it's spelled. And um, another of his is Cream de Fig, which I strongly recommend. The other 
blender is a brand name, Sir Walter Scott, and some of his are quite remarkable as well. Um, I like uh, one of his called uh, Lundy Foot. Uh, he makes another called Moro Moro, M-O-R-O, M-O-R-O. Um, he makes another one from um, Iway Scotch. It's amazing um, that this can be blended so beautifully with uh, tobacco. He calls that Mo of Oa. Oa is actually a place in the Scotch region. Um, these guys are, are uh, tremendously creative. I also mentioned um, Toke, which is another of my favorite uh, brands. All three of these, of course, are from um, Great Britain. And uh, uh, I think if somebody wants to really explore some um, interesting kinds of uh, olfactory flavors, this is the way to do it. And I can honestly say, Brian, that some of these sensations and um, nasal taste sensations, I don't know how else to put it, are amazing to the point where I didn't know such things could exist. Just like uh, an incredible pipe tobacco, um, you just taste it and you go, my God, how can this be so good? So uh, basically, that's, uh, that about uh, sums it up. Right? I want to apologize for the audio drop out there. Apparently, the file got corrupt a little bit, and I tried to save it the best I could. But I hope you're enjoying this so far. Stay tuned, because right after this break, Fred and I cooked up a little surprise for everybody. So we'll be back with more Fred Hanna in just a minute. Need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back with Fred, and Fred, you and I talked about this beforehand, but here's what Fred's going to do for you. Instead of the standard Fast Five final questions that you did a year ago when you were on, what are your five favorite or five suggested vintage tobaccos for us to look for try i don't know well that's a that's a really tough question but endlessly fascinating to me brian um first of all i guess one has to distinguish what one is looking for if they're looking for an old english or balkan vintage tobacco or virginia so let me just mention a few um 
First of all, I want to say this, and I say this with some hesitation, because um, these the tobaccos I'm going to name are not particularly um, high-priced at the moment, and I hope I don't ruin that. But anyway, the old Berry Levin tobaccos are, I think, the most underrated uh, tobaccos out there currently in terms of price. So anybody who's looking on eBay for, you know, old vintage tobaccos, and they're not going to spend very much, I would um, strongly suggest that you look under um, Levin, L-E-V-I-N, tobaccos. Let me name a few that I think are absolutely tremendous, and I don't, I, I realize I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot here, but oh well, I've done dumber things. <laughs> One of them is called Sophisticate. Now, this Sophisticate is currently being made by McClellan, and it was also made by PCCA, which is another great old um, maker from the early 1990s. But the one I'm talking about is a Berry Levin tobacco. It's a 1992 Sophisticate. It was only, this stuff was only made once. I have probably 30 tins of this stuff. It is one of the best Virginias, in my opinion, ever made. I've had Virginias that are 50, 60 years old. I uh, am a great fan of vintage tobaccos. I've written about it in my book. Um, another great one is Millennium 2000, made by the PCCA, which is the Pipe Collectors Club of America. Um, that is a tremendous um, Red Virginia, I think one of the three or four best Red Virginias ever made. Um, another one is Christmas Cheer 1992. Now, some of the others were good, but the original issue, 1992 Christmas Cheer, is utterly amazing. Once again, one of the greatest Red Virginias ever made. Now, in terms of a dark stove tobacco, um, the old Aurora from 1994 is absolutely tremendous. And once again, that's made by McClelland again because they picked it up. Um, it was made in 1994 and 1996. As far as I can tell, those are very, very close. The one that's made today is also very good, but of course we're talking 1994. This is 20 years of aging. That is a very dark tobacco. I think it's tremendous. Um, there's um, uh, also some old Virginias. The very finest old Virginia I ever had was a capstan medium in a cutter top tin that had to be at the time at least 50 years old, and it was beyond belief in terms of its it was it tasted like red burgundy from france i mean it was like unbelievable quality since then i've had four more none of them were ever as good as that one of the things people have to remember is that um not so much with the levens but when they get really old like that the 40 50 or more years old there's variation between the tins and it's hard to it's hard to uh um you know, to know what you're going to get. Markovich Black and White is one of my favorite tobaccos of all time. I've actually written about that in my book as well. That's a tremendous tobacco. I am also a huge fan of Dunhill Standard Mixture Full, which they stopped making somewhere around 1981. Um, incredibly beautiful, um, rich tobacco. I also like Dunhill Standard Mixture Medium, from the 1970s as well, and 
John Cotton's Smyrna, which is, you know, a lot of people think one and two, John Cotton's one and two, is a really good tobacco. Personally, it's just my taste. I find it kind of bland. If you want to try a great John Cotton's, it's Smyrna. And that is a type of a particular um, uh, Turkish tobacco. But make no mistake, this is a English blend. There's Latakia in there. It is utterly fantastic, um, extremely rare. And uh, there, of course, you know, the Balkan Sobrani 759 and the, uh, the original in the white tin um, 759 is still the, uh, the king in this boy's humble opinion. I could do a half an hour just on 759 because there's so many different things to know about it in terms of when it was made, um, the history, tradition behind it, you know, um, and the variations in it. But overall, um, 759, everybody knows about who, who knows about old tobaccos. It's the single most expensive tobacco in the world. I saw a tin of it um, and, and a, a canister of it that went on eBay once. They don't all, thank God. But I saw one that actually went for $1,300. I saw a four-ounce cutter top tin um, and white Sobrani actually go for $1,499. I think those are the most that I've ever heard of a tobacco going on eBay. So anyway, it's unfortunate that those are so expensive, but nevertheless, those are my favorites you asked, and I probably said I'll probably have trouble sleeping tonight <laughs> saying a lot of that stuff, but oh well. Well, for those of us that can't afford all that, for nine ninety nine, you can go onto Amazon and get the uh, Kindle edition of Fred's book, The Perfect Smoke, and uh, you can look it up by his name, and keep in mind the last name is H-A-N-N-A. So, Fred, thank you again for coming back and uh, dealing with me. <laughs> Brian, you're a pleasure, buddy. It's, a, it's great to know you, man. Thank you for having me. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical. A tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. We are back. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Fred and I had a, a great conversation that night, and it uh, carried on a little bit longer than that. Wish, uh, wish we could play some of that, too, but 
we can't. Darn it. Out of time. Anyway, for music. For music tonight, my friend Dino. Yeah, my friend Dino sent me a CD that's called Duets. It's Helen Merrill and bassist and pipe smoker Ron Carter doing some really cool stuff. And I picked out a song specifically because I just really enjoyed this one in particular. I hope you'll enjoy it. Helen Merrill and Ron Carter. In a mellow tone Feeling fancy free And I'm not alone I've got company Everything's okay The live long day With this mellow song I can't go wrong In a mellow tone That's the way to live If you mope and groan Something's gotta give Just go your way And laugh and play There's joy unknown In a mellow called In a Mellow Tone, and it was uh, co-written by Duke Ellington. So, Ron Carter on bass, Helen Merrill on vocals. You've got some mail. I'm going to do a quick mailbag because, well, one of the benefits of being pre-recorded is Kevin's not sitting there tapping his fingers on the time, but we're going long, but I want to get this in. Uh, Setters Brace, in response to last week's show, said the interview with Mike was enlightening, and it's plain to see that he's... A man that's grounded and committed to turning out a product that he's proud to stamp his name onto. We are fortunate to have him and many other legendary American carvers to choose from. I hope someday to be able to own and smoke one of his creations. Uh, The Dude Abides says, I have had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Butera at two pipe shows and found him to be a true gent. His dedication to quality and his perfectionism are legendary. 
Uh, Trail Boss wrote, and I like this one, Great show. I listened to the show, and as Brian said, we have three or four minutes left, and the subject of tobaccos hadn't been announced. I thought, what the heck? Nothing mentioned about the revered pelican blend that many speak uh, reverently of. Not to be disappointed, my time-traveling telekinetic powers led Brian to mention that a future episode will cover that topic. Disaster averted. And uh, he enjoyed the clarification on the tobacco stuff. Uh, Riff Raff wrote, Mike Butera is an interesting guy and and truly a master craftsman. I find it fascinating that he uses just files to shape his pipes. The mentorship within the global pipe community is impressive. It is this mentorship that preserves the techniques used to craft functional works of art. I find it refreshing that he is open with his methods, techniques, and secrets. I can't wait to hear his second interview regarding his blending and tobaccos. Brian and Kevin, you have mastered the art of keep them wanting more. (laughs) Uh, I also appreciate the clarification on the different types of tobaccos. And J.H. Hicks wrote, The Mike Butera interview is loads of fun to listen to. I was surprised to hear how many pipes he made before he decided to try to sell one. That's dedication. I wish I could have got one at $75. J.H. Uh, Hicks also liked the pipe parts segment. And then he further went on to say that he agreed with the pipe cleaner segment from the previous show. He prefers the normal cleaners as opposed to fluffy or tapered. We will get to more mailbag stuff in next week's show. Plus, next week, I will uh, give you a recap of the Kansas City Pipe Show. In the meantime, what I would like for you to do, if you all could do me a favor, is I want you to ask answer part of Fred's questions, which is, if you own an oil-cured pipe, how long does the oil-cure tasting last? How long do you notice? Does it last 30 bowls? Does it last shorter than that? Do you notice the taste longer than that? And if you have any suggestions on good value vintage tobaccos or aged tobaccos on the market, go ahead and shout those out to me. Shoot them to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or you can post them right there on the forums for on the radio show's page for everybody to see. And uh, thank you all to a couple of folks that left iTunes reviews. We really do appreciate those. Keep them coming. I'll get to those next week. And in just a minute, rant time. <laughs> This is Internet Radio. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. 
And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupajoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. Cowboy. Cowboy. So I mentioned we're going on vacation again, and we're going on vacation, we're going on a cruise again. Yes, a fabled cruise, and I understand the smoking restrictions, and I'm ready to deal with that. But I wanted to call them. I called them and wanted to find out what the schedule was for the evening events, what night was the formal, what night was the, uh, what night were the, was the entertainment, what nights were the, com- were the comedians scheduled for. What movies were they going to show on the screen over the pool? Nobody had any idea. They said, you'll get that information when you get on board. I said, I wanted to do a little bit of planning based off of some, yeah, some, uh, our dinner times and some, uh, some excursion plans. I wanted to do some little pre-planning and didn't want to, you know, wanted to be able to see if I could bounce some stuff around and figure out how to maximize our seven days on the ship. And, no, you can't get that until you get on the ship. It's the ship that has the information. Nobody else has it, apparently. Uh, Not only that, nobody has a printed map of the ship, and nobody knows if the Blue Bar, which is, I guess, the Jazz Lounge, if that one is still a smoking venue on that ship. So... My uh, advice to the fine folks at Carnival Cruise Lines, yes, I realize it's Carnival, they're not fancy, but we got such a deal on this cruise that we couldn't pass it up. Uh, My advice is that, you know what, maybe some folks would like to kind of pre-plan their stuff. Yes, we're booking excursions, and we know when our four stops are, but you know what, we might want to plan our evenings too. We might want to know in advance. We might want to know a whole week ahead what the week is going to look like. Here's a little advice to you, Carnival. Print it up, figure it out, plan it, do it. It's the same cruise week after week. You gotta have a plan for it. All right, there's the show for this week. Hey, hope to see you all in Kansas City this weekend. Uh, Next week, full show report on it. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Fred Hanna for coming back again. I hope you really enjoyed the uh, change up in the format. I know I did. I learned a lot this time. And I want to thank the fine folks at Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Cares about the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley.